Ladies, gentlemen, pimps in between, as one Daniel Finter would say, welcome back to the Arsenal Cannon Podcast Extravaganza. This is episode 151. It's our first since the big drunk cast, which was last week, I believe, or something like that, about a week ago. Um, we didn't do anything after Oxford, uh, but we are back to sort of kick off our 2023 in podcasting. Um, and excited is a great way to do it because we were off the back of a superb victory. Our first at the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. It's only taken us, like, what, three, four matches to equal their winning record at the Emirates in like 18 years or something like that. Anyway, I'm delighted to be joined by the man with the versatile name, Rob Bob Bert, Berthy. Rob, how are you doing? Yeah, well, what a pleasure to be to be covering this game on the podcast. And as you can hear in Alfie's voice, he's still feeling the effects of the drunk cast. It it was it was a very very heavy night that one. Um, but no, in, in all seriousness, um, what a win for Arsenal at, at the weekend. Um, you know, I was eleven the last time Arsenal won at Shite Hart Lane. I think Alfie would have been thirteen for that reason, and Daniel still would have been in his forties. So, we, it, it was a, <laughs> it, it was a it was a time um, a huge huge win. Uh, I can't really re- remember it that well. I remember Rizitsky story scoring, and then us basically just singing against Spurs that day. Uh, but even then, like our performance. Uh, at the weekend was completely different to that. That first half, wow, um, took my breath away, and it it made it even better that I was watching it with my housemate, who's a Spurs fan, and his pain. Uh, I love to see it. Well, those were actually our first goals at that end uh, because we've only scored once before then. It was in the it was in Project Restart and Lacazette screamer at the other end. Um, so yeah, it was a it was a great way to extend our lead at the top of the table and also sort of kickstart our our uh, run at this ground. We'll win the next 10, I presume. Uh, it was Yeah, it was also the first away win in the North London derby, like for either side, since that game as well. Uh, in the league, I know Spurs beat us uh, in the League Cup um, a few years ago at the Emirates. But yeah, I mean, you said there, and, and yes, I am. I don't know, you can probably tell from my voice I'm still quite ill, so I'm going to sort of stumble through this. And we've fought hard to get this one up and running, this podcast. But yeah, you mentioned there you were with your Spurs, mate. I went to the pub and it was sort of a mix of Arsenal and Spurs and the atmosphere was brilliant. We are getting the chance going. Uh, it was a bit of back and forward. Uh, I think they mainly got drowned out because we're in Brighton. I think there's a bit more of an Arsenal presence than a Spurs presence. Um, they, they tried to start Yid Army and... Uh, when the Spurs go marching in or on whatever the fuck it is. Uh, and we they all got booed. And then we'd do, what do you think of Tottenham? 61 never again. We won the league at Shite Hart Lane. 71, 2004, all that stuff. So yeah, delighted. Um, yeah, Rob, just give me your sort of lowdown, your thoughts, feelings uh, generally after the game. I mean, yeah, of course. Uh, I'm absolutely ecstatic. Um, it's one of those, actually... Um, I was chatting to my mate who's the Spurs fan after the match and I was looking through the sort of three matches that we have in this really difficult period that we're going through at the moment. We've got Newcastle, we had Newcastle, which we obviously dropped points in, then Spurs, uh, which we won, and then we've got United next weekend. And if I 
honestly, like hand on heart, would have picked a game for us to drop points in. I, I just would have picked Spurs just because our record there and the fact that it is the North London derby and unpredictable things can happen in North London derbies. But we we didn't let that phase us um, at the weekend. We we played especially in the first half, like we would any other game. Uh, you know, some, an area of discussion that we've had is how we've performed once we've gone 1-0 up. We managed to really sustain our pressure despite going ahead early. Um, and yeah, just, just a really, really promising display. I think it was all all the more important that we scored um, like just before half-time going in 1-0. I think that the second half would have been very squeaky, but we fully deserved that second goal. Um, and yeah, just... To win away at that stadium for the first time, uh, as, as nice as it would have been to win there a, a few years ago, it, it feels fitting that we're doing it with this team uh, who've come such a long way. Uh, and, you know, we really needed to win there last season. But it just shows that, you know, as much as like the personnel hasn't changed that drastically, uh, just having those few injured players who weren't available at the back end of last season back and even just the few additions of, you know, William Saliba at the back and Zinchenko, our team has absolutely transformed over the... And I think, you know, if, if you ever want a perfect personification of that, it, it's comparing the North London derby of last season to the North London derby of this season at, um, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Yeah, well, that sort of 3-0 in, what was it, early May, it sort of built this whole narrative that they were on par with us and I don't think in reality that is the case I think they caught us on the wrong day when we had injuries um, as you mentioned key injuries to the likes of Thomas Partey Kieran Tierney was out um, and we started that game with Cedric Nuno Tavares Rob Holding Ben White was out as well Tommy Asu was out uh, I think Tommy Asu may have kept, come on after the Rob Holding red card I can't remember Um but I know Cedric holding Tavares started in that back. I'm pretty sure. I think that's right. Uh, in the back four. And then we had El Nenny starting as well. Um, <laughs> and and Eddie and Ketia. And they, they caught us on a bad day where we had injuries to key players. Um, and they had two forwards who were still in the absolute prime elite stage of their career which I think at least one of them has sort of fallen off now and is starting to decline. Um, in terms of football, they're just not our level. The principles of which they play with, the style of their play, the way they are set up as a team, it's just it's not in the same ballpark as Arsenal. Um, I don't think there's many teams that are in world football currently. Maybe you can look at Manchester City, I don't know. Maybe they're slightly more individual-based rather than being as good a team, I don't know, that's controversial. I think Brighton are an excellent team and Napoli are doing excellently. Barcelona look good. Uh, but aside from that, you know, we're one of the best teams in the world, arguably, at this current moment, or at least in Europe. Um, and, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, at various stages of this season, this is the game where Arsenal need to get through. Then we can say they're title tra challengers. You know, these are the moments. You, first, it was United. It was like, oh, we, we, they've, they've won the first five, but they haven't played anyone. We didn't pass that test, but we were unlucky to. Everyone could see from the performance that, you know, it wasn't something to be worried about. It was a good performance, generally. Just got caught in the transition, a little bit naive. Then came Spurs, uh, and there was a lot of talk. I posted something, actually, on the Instagram, which was, <laughs> I just want to read some of these. Uh, quotes which is which are hilarious um 
it's the Athletics uh, got some of their writers before that first North London derby game to say who they think will finish top uh, above. Uh, sorry, yeah, who who will finish above uh, Arsenal or Spurs? Who will finish higher up the table? That's what I'm trying to say. Um, and Carl Anker said, "This is the best I've seen at Arsenal in a while, but they feel like they've already they're already at their ceiling." The youngest team in the league at their ceiling. Spurs aren't playing great, but keep picking up points. Advantage Conte. <laughs> uh, Arsenal have been so impressive to date, but tougher fixtures lie ahead. Spurs are unbeaten, and yet they probably only fired and fits and starts. Ultimately, they might be better equipped to finish higher. Tottenham, just. It's vote primarily f- for Antonio Conte over Mikel Arteta, and the danger of all those Thursday nights in Europa League will eventually catch up with Arsenal. Spurs, it's quite nice to see Arsenal fans enjoying themselves after years of frustration and self-loathing, but there's something inevitable about Antonio Conte. It does feel like there's this narrative that because of them, they're sort of it, it's driven primarily by their experienced manager compared to our inexperienced manager, which I don't think it matters really. Uh, he's proving at the moment that he's an excellent manager, but that was sort of the the narrative at that point. We came through that, and there were still question marks. And then it was like, can we beat Liverpool, a team that have been brilliant in previous years? We beat them. And it feels like it ke- Chelsea away. And then it was this game. Can we come through this game? And we've done it. And we keep coming through these games. They looked to sort of put us down after drawing nil-nil with a Newcastle team where the ball was in play for 53 minutes and they just looked, tried to kick us and sat back. Uh, by the way, also probably one of the best defensive teams in the league. So, I mean, it's... <laughs> and we came through it. and. The sort of uh, enormity of this victory, I think, is reflected in the fact that this is the first time after winning this game we've become favourites. We're officially the favourites. I'm not sure on the bookies, but on the sort of simulation. Yeah, yeah, we are the bookies. Bookies as well now. Exactly. On the sort of prediction model things, which uh, are like data driven, we're at 57% to win the title now. So... It's looking good. Yeah, I remember uh, before the North London derby, the, the, the big one for the top four back in May, um, there was that conversation about it's sort of the the battle of the identities. You have the the sort of short-termism of Antonio Conte football um, and then to reflect that with the positional play of Mikel Arteta, Ala Pep Guardiola and, you know, the more progressive managers in, in world football. And that day, Antonio Conte came out on top, um, probably for what I just alluded to there, the, the short-termism that that style of football can offer. We, we've seen that under Mikel Arteta, that that style of football can offer you short-term results. Um, you know, right at the start of his reign, that FA Cup run, that that's how we won those games. We were in no way the better side when we beat the likes of City and Chelsea in the FA Cup, Liverpool at home in the Premier League in in the season where they finished with a ridiculous points tally. We were in no way the better side, but we ground out the results by sitting in. Um, But this was a... These sorts of victories, you always feel victories for the right side of football. If if there is a right side of football, I'm not saying there's a right and a wrong way, but for me, the way that we set up is the right way. Uh, it's more sustainable. 
and and this this was a victory for that. And yeah, I do just want to touch on that point that you made as well with the the test that Arsenal have. I just found it hilarious that after the game, then Paul Merson was saying United is the test that Arsenal have to come up, come over to show that they are proper title challengers. It will keep happening until it will until we've and, lifted the Premier League trophy. And, and if we, we win, get it because we are are outside. Uh, sort of runners, but yeah, you know, if if Liverpool were in this position, everyone would be like they're winning the title. Absolutely, uh, I know that's because of previous performances, but in seasons, but I don't know. And even if we win the title, I could imagine them saying like, "Oh, let's see how they do next season. Are they just going to drop off? Are they going to do a Leicester like something like that?" Like you, you can just see that that's how people think about Arsenal, and I don't mind it because it gives us the sort of, I guess let's just go under the radar and keep winning sort of mentality. Um, but then as well, I, I want this team to get the flowers that they deserve. Um, I just think some of the players get, get so much disrespect. I think that the whole conversation about the level of the Premier League dropping is is hugely disrespectful as well. You know, the expected formulas don't suggest we're going to get quite as many points as 99, but we are on track to get 99 points. That's Liverpool's record points tally in the Premier League. That's a point shy of Manchester City's record point tally. The standard of the Premier League might have dropped in terms of what City and Liverpool are offering this season, but we are still at that level. We are offering that high, high quality football. Um, and yeah, how good was it to see it on show at our um, not-so-noisy neighbours? Uh, and you're right, the fact that we've won there within four years when they've never won at the Emirates, I mean, it, it just shows the levels between these two football clubs. Yeah, well, let's dive back into the the weekend's uh events um and surely i mean what carl anker and, and those journalists were saying surely you know spurs are this bad surely when they're good they're going to be amazing that's how it works isn't it oh, yeah. yeah i mean it is such a such a naive form of assessment isn't it like there's no evidence to, to suggest they are going to they, they were ever going to click because you, for that to click, you're. I think you're relying on some of them, their players, becoming players that they're not. For example, Human Son. I think it's been established that you know he's pretty much a finisher at this stage of his career. I'm sure there are teams that he would still be effective within, but in a team where he basically has to be to Spurs what Eden Hazard was to Chelsea a few years ago, he's not that player, and it, it's hurting them. And He's never going to be that player again, not at this age, and probably with Kane's mobility issues with it, off the back of the, the number of injuries he's had, he's not going to be that player either. Yeah, I mean, maybe if you just keep playing badly, you're just bad. It doesn't mean you're yeah, going to just randomly get good because you've just been bad. That's not how it works. Um, I'd expect it better from athletic journalists, to be honest. Um, and maybe if you're just playing well constantly, like we are, Maybe you're just good. Um, but let's get into the events of the weekend. Manchester City beaten by United, albeit a slightly dubious goal, but I thought United probably were good value for that win. I thought City were poor for most of the game. Um, they just I, I I think there's a question, there's a debate to be had over whether Haaland slightly hinders them in big games. Um, and I know that might sound like a mental statement, but I think they're so used to having all those players so excellent in build-up, and then now they've brought in a player all of a sudden who has like four touches, and it's like that takes a significant portion of their build-up out of the team. 
Um, and I don't think it's it's obviously not hindering them in the smaller games, which they still dominate and Haaland scoring, you know, three, four goals. But maybe in some of the bigger games, when they need a bit more in possession, um, a bit more involvement from their striker. It, it, maybe that's an issue. Anyway, that put us in a brilliant position to extend our lead going into this game. Um, and it, the pressure that the players would have been under to come into this game, not only is it North London derby, but I think the Newcastle game... We had a slightly fortunate, uh, well, not fortunate, but slightly dodgy half against Oxford. And then the Mudrick deal, there was slight, maybe not negativity, but there was a bit of angst being created around the club. Um, And then they come out and I was nervous before the game. Ten minutes in, I'm not remotely nervous. Uh, What what minute did we score in, actually? I think it was the 12th. 12th. I might be wrong there. Well, five to ten minutes in, my nerves are... I mean, obviously, I'm still nervous because it's the North London derby. It's horrible to watch, but I was sort of more at ease because it was like, oh, we are also... This is the minute that um, Saka... <laughs> well, exactly. we'll talk about the goal in a minute. <laughs> this is the way we play. We come out, we play our principles, and I have no doubt that in every game, we will play our football. We can't control everything. Uh, the randomness of football... The variance can happen, dodgy decisions, but what we can be sure of is that we will be, we will play our football, and sometimes it'll be better than it. Uh, it will be not as quite as good as other days, but we will play the system. We will play the positional play. The players will be in the positions. The distances will be good. The combinations will be good. We will probably dominate territory possession, uh, press them high up the pitch. Um, because that is what we have done in every game this season, barring a second half against Leeds and maybe a, a few periods in certain other games like Brighton. But in on the whole, we dominate these games and we dominate possession and territory. And we saw our principles of play come in, come in very early and tactically they couldn't handle it. Yeah, and in addition to that, we really exploited the Spurs' weaknesses as well. Um you saw the high pressure from very, very early on in the match on uh, Spurs' Spurs' goalkeeper, Hugo Lloris. He was being forced onto uh, into positions where he wasn't comfortable. We know that he doesn't have a right foot. The pressure was was forcing him onto that left foot in a way. Uh, but but the, the angles were just so difficult for him to execute from. Uh, and, you know, he, he was doing all he could to put it on his left foot. But it often meant that it just always resulted in a turnover because that wasn't the pass. The pass was to his right and he, he wasn't prepared to look that way. Um, the same could be said for a lot of their their defenders. We were, I thought that just the press in general was, was absolutely superb. Um, we saw Martinelli a bit higher than he often has been in recent weeks. Uh, Eddie was doing a brilliant job and, you know, we'll get into individual performances, but Eddie was brilliant on the day. Um and just uh, across the pitch, yeah, we, we really targeted their weaknesses. Again, that right-hand side, uh, Sessegnon could not handle Bakayo Saka. It, it was quite hilarious watching um, the Spurs left-back try to try to keep uh, tabs on Saka. Um, quite funny that they were sort of, that Sessegnon was uh, sort of regarded as a similar talent when he first broke through to Bakayo Saka, whereas he's still a left wing back and Bakayo Saka is probably the best right winger in the Premier League. Um, 
so yeah i think we just executed everything to perfection and it, it's just nice when as you alluded to we have that those principles that we we are able to sort of just execute on a weekly basis just because they're so effective and then we when we can add things on top of that to expose the the deficiencies in our opponents yeah it's a it's a it's a beautiful 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 cocktail um and we're we're flying absolutely flying yeah and we have become sort of uh synonymous with these quick starts you know we look to we know generally we don't have the options off the bench so we look to bury the game quite early and we really do for you know look at the start against newcastle even the first 10 minutes were electric um and I think Spurs, I mean, Spurs are sort of become known with the opposite thing. They struggle at the start of games. They they have to be, they're not a proactive team. They're a reactive team. Um, and in the second half is when we saw them come out a bit more. But I actually thought they tried to start quickly. It was like clearly an uh, uh, instruction from Conte, get at them early. And I thought like the first two minutes or so, they were trying to get at us. They were trying to break lines. I think they had a couple moments. Um, but as soon as we got the ball and just sort of took the sting out of it and just had a bit of possession, it was like they just sank back into their shell. Um, they sort of just didn't try to do that again. Um, and they just didn't respond. Uh, and we just, from that moment, we completely controlled it. It was some really nice passing patterns. Um, we had the very early chance uh, for Eddie when, as you mentioned, the pressing on Lloris. I think it's Martinelli closes him down. Uh, the ball comes back to Martin and he hooks it across uh, to Nketi. It's actually very good improvisation from from Eddie from from Martinelli. It comes down for Eddie. I think it's actually a harder chance than it looks because he has to wait for ages for it to come down, and then he just has to get a firm contact on it. Um, and it's coming away. And Lloris, to be fair to him, does something well in this game, and he does well to close that down. Um, but that was sort of the first moment of a number of moments. I think Odegaard had a shot. Um, saved by Lloris it was similar to his goal but just a bit earlier a bit closer as well um, and that was actually a good save from Lloris as well there was obviously the Partey hitting the post um, from what would have been an unbelievable goal um, but it was general just absolute dominance they I think they showed uh, just before we scored the first goal in the 14th minute um, which I just looked it up I think they just they showed us uh, a stat on Sky Sports it was touches in the opposition box and it was 11 for Arsenal to zero to Spurs and that sort of showed that demonstrated the dominance at that point but let's talk about that first goal because we do get a bit of fortune um but as I've said so many times this season when you spend so much time in the opposition final third and getting the ball into the box and being in those dangerous areas you're likely to get some luck at some point you know bounces can go your way um and it's the the past from Thomas Partey over the top to Saka is brilliant in the build-up. Um, and Saka, he trusts his right foot and he just puts into a dangerous area. And Lloris, I mean, <laughs> not sure what he was doing. It was a very strange goal. There was a bit of hesitation in the pub. They were like, what's just happened? Oh, it's gone in. Oh, let's go mental. Yeah, it it was very much like that. Um, you know, even the commentary, it was like, oh, wow, the, the ball's in the back of the net, you know, because it didn't sort of punch through the back of the net, just sort of dropped over the line. And and there we go. We we were 1-0 up. But 
I think there's something to what, what you were talking about there with with how we sustain pressure, um, especially a, against a team like Spurs. Um, you know that that not only the club because the club is, but the team is in a tumultuous phase. Um, you know that recently lost to Aston Villa at home two nil, um, and you know they've got City coming up. You know things aren't looking good for them, and the football hasn't been good all season. I think that's just something to putting the ball into the box against a team who have three uh, unreliable centre backs. I think we'd we'd have to say. Romero is far too overhyped. I was seeing a lot of these sort of combined elevens with him in, and I'm like, he doesn't start for me over Gabriel or Saliba. He's he's very rash. He sort of reminds me of a. Um, very early a sort of version of Gabriel at Arsenal, um, throwing himself into challenges, getting a, you know he definitely should have been sent off um, later on in the derby for a you know, second yellow. So yeah, so three centre backs who haven't covered themselves in glory this season, and then not only that, three centre backs who clearly just have no trust in their captain and goalkeeper. And I think there's something to just putting the ball in the box against a sort of quartet like that and hoping for the best and the best did happen for Arsenal and the worst happened for Spurs um, you know these games are definitely about playing on your opponent's weaknesses especially in a derby and you know I think scoring in that manner even though we didn't like tear them open I think it was arguably perfect for Arsenal because it clearly frustrated the hell out of the Spurs fans um, you know the they they don't trust their defenders. They don't trust their goalkeeper, and that just created sort of a horrible atmosphere within the ground. We had a few come on new Spurses, uh, but apart from that, uh, it was mainly the Arsenal fans that you could hear, and a lot of abuse being sent towards the Spurs players. Inject it, um, and and on that actually, this was something that I heard Tim speak about. Uh, I've just listened to the start of the new Arsenal vision. Um, and he was at the game and he said he was slightly less raucous than it normally is in the away end because, you know, normally you go there with the sort of nervous anticipation of what could happen, the game's in the balance, but it was so dominant and comfortable. There was, we just didn't feel that nervous in the first half. And he said at half time it was like, we've almost got this sort of thing that Man City have where, they go into a big game, there's a lot of talk about it, there's nerves and stuff, and then 10 minutes in, they've had about 6 million passes already, and it's like, the other team can't get near them. It's like, oh, it's going to be a bit of a procession. He said it livened up in the second half, and it got a little bit more nervy, and we'll get onto that. But, um, yeah, that was just an interesting interesting thing. I saw it shows the, the psychology of the fans at the moment and how much trust we have in our team compared to Spurs. Um, yeah, let's get onto the second goal. Um, and there's been a lot of talk about uh, Martin Tyler's commentary for this goal, which some people are saying Rob's just <laughs> rolled his eyes. Um, I mean, I'm I'm not. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll get into the commentary after, which is not that important. But just a brilliant goal, and Spurs had a warning that Odegaard has this range of shooting um, with the with the shot he had earlier, which Lloris made a good save from. Um, and it's just, it's one of those patterns that we see. Uh, I spoke about some of them in my recent Mikhailo Mudrik video. Uh, <laughs> yeah, going to Chelsea now. Um, it's to sort of, what's this? 
Something's come up on my laptop. Oh, don't worry. Uh, it's the sort of Thomas Partey uh, drawing some players in uh, and then finding a, a, a line-splitting pass into Pekairo Saka, who drives forward. Um, Saka draws players into him and then leaves space for Odegaard in the middle. He finds Odegaard. We saw a similar goal. Um, I think the Liverpool opening goal for Martinelli was kind of like this this pattern, but instead of Odegaard shooting, he just slid it into Martinelli. We saw it uh, a few times last season. I think the Odegaard goal against Watford springs to mind, uh, but it was like that. And then Odegaard hits a brilliant shot into the top, into the bottom corner. It's absolutely spectacular. What a moment in the derby. A guy who's been at the top of his game, been one of the best players in the Premier League this season and is an unbelievable form to sort of cap that run off with a goal in the at the Spurs stadium to consolidate uh the goal, the lead. Um I still wanted a third because I know what Spurs have done this season in terms of coming back once they get one it can be get a bit difficult because that's what they do but yeah talk to me about the goal Rob. Yeah, I mean um Brilliant, um, brilliant goal from Martin Erdegaard, of course. I mean, I'm surprised that he took the shot. Um, I was, I even said, I think, when he took the shot, pass, because Martinelli was, you know, in a very nice position. But, you know, it's reflective of Martin Erdegaard's confidence at the moment. Um, an, an exquisite, exquisite finish. And, you know, the, the commentary did an injustice to it because it, it was so underwhelming. But in the context of these sorts of seasons, they, these can be defining moments, uh, and it's it's great that we have a skipper who is contributing to these these defining moments, playing stupidly good passes and scoring ridiculously good goals. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's a sign of bravery. I think it's been a theme when we've played against these sides who have sat deep. It was a th- it was a theme when we played Spurs at the Emirates. We do place an emphasis on shooting from outside the box, just because these teams are difficult to break down and because they have so many players sat in their in their box um you know it can take a nick and these things can happen we saw Pato almost score an absolute screamer um but yeah it, it paid off once again uh you know we had some Van Dijk-esque defending from Cootie Romero who wasn't closing Odegaard down which was which was you know appreciated um trying to use his aura oh yes absolutely um Oh yeah, I'm not praising Romero uh, to to those who aren't aware of um, Van Dijk's let's say passive approach to blocking uh, blocking shots. So um, yeah, just just a brilliant goal and something which I just think again indicates the variety that Arsenal can offer in in their attacking play with with the ability to score from range. Yeah, and on that Van Dijk piece of defending, I think we saw the antithesis of that when Gabriel stood up. I think it was Kane in the second half, and he just. Didn't dive in, didn't dive in, then blocked turn. Uh, Kane's attempted turn and shot, um, which was brilliant defending. Um, and he had a brilliant game, but we'll, we'll talk about the individuals after. Um, there were a couple moments Spurs did have in that first half. I mean, literally two. I think there was nothing else. Um, obviously, the one where Cessnion did something quite good, actually, and he ran over the top, uh, cut back in, and then played a nice little rever- reverse ball. Son... It's a sort of chance you expect him to bury, but it's brilliant goalkeeping from Ramsdale. I think that's the most important Ramsdale intervention in the game. I mean, maybe you could say the Cessna one in the second half, but this was, you know, we'd just gone 1-0 up pretty much, and this would have sort of pegged us back and and 
had a bit more uncertainty. So it was brilliant. And then there was one very late in the second half when Zinchenko gave the ball away. Uh, brilliant cross from, I can't remember who, uh, might have been Doherty and then Kane header. It's a bit more of a simple one for Ramsdale, but he palms it away. Uh, the ball's coming at him with pace. So he did well with that. And two pretty vital interventions from him. Just Don't thought... forget about um, Spurs' penalty as well. Oh, I for, there was like a four-second period where I was like, they've given a penalty and I was literally about to lose my head. Then I realised they'd given a goal kick or something. Yeah, I think um, the fans in the stadium thought a penalty had been given yeah. and, and it sounded like there was a, a cheer and likewise, I was losing my shit. I was like, how could they give a penalty for that? Especially because they were still <laughs> showing replays and I think the commentary thought it was a penalty as well. Uh, and thankfully it wasn't. It was actually a hilarious bit of um, acting, let's say, from uh, Pierre-Emile Hoyberg. Absolutely <laughs> pathetic. Pathetic. They're vi- Vikings. So he literally just sort of falls over and then slightly touches him after he's shot like five minutes. Yeah, before. when when Saliba's already taking his leg away as well, <laughs> it's like that slow motion. Oh my god! I mean, Hoiberg's shot had gone wide about five minutes prior to that. So <laughs> anyway, I just thought tactically we were clearly uh, focusing on that right hand side. Well, sorry, the left-hand side of Spurs, but our right-hand side, uh, we were trying to play long, direct balls to Saka all the time in behind. We knew Sessegnon would leave that space. We knew Saka could get a long lay on that side and Dyer was also the central centre-back. Um, but also the use of Zinchenko in that first half popping up everywhere just adds that element of control. He's, it's kind of weird. Uh, you probably wouldn't have thought this about 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, that... The player with the free role that can sort of go where he wants is the left back. Because um, he's basically not a left back, is he? Normally, you know, you associate that with a number 10, but now Zinchenko is basically yeah. a role. Well, I think, you know, maybe a discussion for a different podcast to have, but, you know, so often in modern football, the fullbacks are the, the pressing triggers. So I think if you sort of take that player away from, from the fullback zone and not only that, put a ultra sort of technically sound player within that zone um you're only strengthening um your your ability to to build up effectively and i think that's only only strengthened further when you have someone like gabriel who's just come on so far uh with his ability on the ball in behind him so he's not especially a weakness um yeah, just the, the technical quality at the back that Arsenal boast is probably unparalleled in the Premier League right now. You know, you're looking at, people will always say Manchester City, but they had a back a centre-back pairing of Akanji and Ake against United. You can't tell me that's better than Saliba and Gabriel. Um, so Definitely not. No. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it is just indicative of sort of where football is these days and how nuanced things are getting and where you put your more effective players and probably part of the reason why, given how it's evolved, why there aren't that many good left-backs about at the moment and, you know, contributes further to my disbelief that City gave us Inchenko on a plate for £25 It's uh, one of the more bizarre transfers in recent years, I have to say, when you look at things from a sort of um, outsider's perspective. Yeah, and I think that first half just demonstrated we are probably the best team in the league. And I know the XG sort of metrics don't quite show it, but the XG difference is closing between us and City. It's getting closer and closer each week. 
Um, I think they've been on a poor run in terms of their metrics. Um, they were brilliant at the start of the season, but they've sort of struggled slightly of late. Um, let's get into the second half, though, which, speaking of the XG, did close the gap in that aspect in this game a little bit. We, I didn't, I felt like we were always in control, but it was sort of the inevitable fight back. It would have been strange if Spurs didn't show some sort of fight to get back into this game. Um, and I mean, you think of the goals. Um, sorry, it just looks like I've got no sound waves. I don't know if that's a thing. No, you're you're all good at my end. I think it's still recording. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we we they had a few moments in this second half. There was an early one for Kane where he turned inside, um, or sorry, on the outside and hit a shot across Rams. There was a good good hand. The key save, I think, which was when. Spurs' pressure was probably at his greatest, was the Sessegnon one. It was a nice move, to be fair, between Kane and Sessegnon and Sessegnon. And it's a brilliant, brilliant foot out from Ramsdale, um, which if that goes in, I think this team is a lot more mature and can deal with that pressure and doesn't get rattled as much, but it would have really hyped things up. And that was not too long into the second half, and I would have been a bit worried then. I think from an offensive sense in that second half, our player, attacking players faded, particularly after the 60, 65th minute, um, which is inevitable because we just can't substitute them at the moment because we don't have the players. Hopefully, Smith Rowe is going to help with that a bit and hopefully a new signing. Um, but I think we did have a sort of a 10-minute period where we sort of regained control, but generally it was sort of one-way traffic in that second half. Aside from another great Enketia chance, and an absolutely brilliant pass from Granite Shaka on that transition when he found Nketiah in the space. Um, and this one, I think, is probably a bit of a worse miss than the first one. I just think his first touch lets him down a little bit. But generally, yeah, speak to me about, did you feel we were sort of losing control a little bit? Um, and were you at all concerned or worried at, at times in that second half? I don't know if, if worried is the right word. I, I Obviously, the anxiety went up a bit, and you know I'm I'm very aware of what Spurs what Spurs do at home. Um, they they tend to score pretty early in a, in a second half uh, or even a bit late, and then just have a have a sort of rousing end to the game where where they manage to somehow draw themselves back into things. I can think of numerous occasions they've done that this season. So I think if Spurs got one back, I would have been nervous. Not necessarily sort of like having a fit, but definitely nervous. Um, and But I was also comforted by sort of where their attacking play was coming from. I think we did sort of give Ryan Sessegnon the a sort of space to to play his football. I think we didn't view him as too much of a threat. I noticed that Ben White was staying pretty close to Human Son in the in in the early minutes of the game. I think that's the player that Arteta wanted White to focus his attentions upon rather than Sessignon and that did give Sessignon space. Saka covered it well on a, on a few occasions, but of course there are going to be moments where a, a attacking player doesn't cover his ground as effectively and as such, you know, Sessignon got in behind you know, Kane was pretty anonymous. He had a 
had his a couple of good chances. You know, he had that shot that Ramsdale saved very well, and then the header. Uh, he had a good moment early on where he dropped very deep, and then I think yeah, he he set Sessegnon free with a with a nice ball. That's Harry Kane. You can't keep him quiet for the entire game. But in terms of genuine goal scoring opportunities for him, it was it was minimal, wasn't it? Um, so. I think the word would be uh, wary. I think I was throughout the second half, but I think this is what commentators often allude to uh, when when a team is sort of like two 0 up after half time. It's all about just getting through those phases. Uh, you know, Spurs had a strong phase of the um, sort of fifteen minutes in uh, to the second half. We rode that wave. Then we had an element of. Um, control over it again our possession increased and then obviously in the dying embers of the game Spurs again were were showing a bit more offensively but there was never a moment where I felt like we were completely out of control of the game yeah and I think Spurs have a massive issue and this isn't a Spurs canon podcast so or Tottenham podcast so I'm not gonna go on about it too much but I do think the issue they have in that Harry Kane is both their biggest creator and biggest goal scorer. Um, maybe maybe a bit of an issue. You want someone who can alleviate sort of the burden of at least one of them. And he was dropping off. Now Son is not scoring as many goals. He has to do both to a very high level. And I don't know if you've seen the average positions, but Harry Kane is deeper than Hoiberg in the average positions. Uh, he is yeah. dropping so deep and trying to, he was pretty much playing on Partey's shoulder most of the game. And it meant Gabriel and Saliba were barely occupied at times. Yeah. Um, and even when it, the ball was fired into his feet a bit higher, Gabriel dealt with it so impressively. I think that has been a, an area of Gabriel's game, which one has been able to criticise over the course of the last few years, perhaps his anticipatory defending that has gone up a level. So he just in general has gone up a level in, in the international break. And I'll talk about him later, but uh, you know, again, we're not going to make this a Spurs cannon podcast, but um, it's all well and good having Kane drop, but basically human son's profile has been searing pace and ball striking. That That is what he has been in, in recent years. And it's been extremely effective. You know, at one point it made him one of the best players in the world. Um, but the pace is now gone. He's just got the ball striking. He doesn't have the the you know elite technical ability to make the goal, the the goal scoring opportunities for himself to strike the ball. Uh, and you know perhaps this is the reason why Kane is looking for balls over the top to Sessegnon instead of Son. Now he just can't get into those positions. And you know if I had that sort of logical hat on in the game, I think my my. Um, sort of anxieties would have subsided uh, to a high degree because Son is just not the player he was. Yeah, and I think in the October game, we saw Richarlison, Son and Kane, and I was like, they need Kulisevsky in this team. He's their sort of prime creator. But I actually think Kulisevsky has not recovered too much or too well from that injury. Um, Apparently they rushed him back for this one as well. He he didn't look fit to me at all. Um, I saw someone say they thought he played well. I thought he was not great. I think, um, you know, that is the space that teams try and target us, you know, in behind Zinchenko. They did try that a bit early on. They were playing those long diagonals, um, but he just didn't make the most of it. And I think Martelli did well to help Zinchenko. 
Um, but Kulisevsky was coming inside and massively overhitting crosses a lot. It wasn't like him. Um, and uh, comparisons to Bakara Saka are mental for me. I don't think he's in the same the same league. No, um, he definitely doesn't have that ceiling. I think he's a fine, fine player. But um, yeah, he's not reaching Saka levels. And as we've spoken about many a time, Saka has gone up some serious levels in, in recent times. Absolutely. And as you said, with the Kane chances, when you look at it, aside from, yeah, that shot that Ramsdale had to keep out um, with his, you know, when it came across his body from Kane and the Cessnion one, although they had, you know, a bit of pressure, um, I did feel like it was sort of hopeful a lot of the time. Um, Hopeful crosses into the box, which Saliba and Gabriel were dealing with. Ben White was dealing with them. Um, And ultimately... They didn't create that much else apart from those one or two big chances. It was sort of hopeful long shots and hopeful crosses into the box. And generally, we dealt with it well. I thought that the substitution of Kieran Tierney was really smart for Gabriel Martinelli. Zinchenko was tiring um, and Tierney was just pressing and just running about. Uh, and it sort of alleviated some of the pressure on Zinchenko. And he, he gave him a bit of a rest and chance to recover. Um, and then obviously we eventually made the Tomiyasu sub and then full time went and before we get into the individual performances quickly uh, I want to talk about the the events at full time um, a Tottenham fan decided he would um, relieve the pain that he must be going through having to go to Shite Heart Lane or whatever it's called the toilet bowl every week by saying, yeah, I'll just kick an Arsenal player so I get banned, so I've got an excuse to not come. Um, yeah, he just, uh, uh, Richarlison, uh, one of the biggest crybabies in football, to be honest. Um, the guy that celebrated with his whole team and manager and got them to all dance and do Brazilian dance, felt that Ramsdale kissing a badge was too far, decided to act out. And then Ramsdale was like, Right, calm down. I'm just going to go and get my water. The guy comes on, kicks him. It all kicks off. Um, Arteta has to run and stop Granite Shaka from running and abusing the fan or whatever. And then we all go up the other end and, and, you know, it's absolute limbs. And then Martinelli does the iconic thing of throwing the scarf on the spider cam. Um, And that picture will be, you know, if we win the title, that'll be one of the iconic pictures of the season. I mean, yeah, it was just uh, an event which I think encapsulated Tottenham Hotspur Football Club at the moment. They they have entered a sort of direction, I want to say, in recent years, which just isn't Spurs. Uh, I saw people on social media sort of saying, can't Spurs just go back to being that club that never win anything but play quite nice football? Um, and speaking to Spurs fans, a lot of them wish that... that they stayed that way, you know. It started when they appointed Mourinho. Uh, they've they've really tried to get that quick fire success, and as we have seen, like quick fire success just just doesn't really happen. Uh, we tried to do it uh, under Arteta, bringing in established players such as uh, Willian and and Thomas Partey, who is doing well now and giving big contracts to the likes of Aubameyang. Even going back to Özil. Um, what you know, we were prepared to give that money to Alexis Sanchez as well. Um, and it doesn't work. And Spurs fans are now in this horrible position where they don't 
know where their future lies. I'm sure things will be fine with that great stadium and um, hopefully they they sort things out in terms of manager. I, hope, I think Conte leaving... Oh, I hope not. Oh, yeah. Me. Yeah, I, I hope not. But I'm sure Conte leaving will do them more good than harm. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, horrible scenes. Um, not something that I've, I've really ever seen before. It, it, it was genuinely very, very weird. Um, perhaps Spursy, but still weird. Um, and... Yeah, just just a bizarre ending to the game, but I suppose it reflects the frustrations of of the the Spurs fans, and probably just the the shock at how quickly we've developed over the past six months and how much they've regressed. Some of the media discourse, I've genuinely been astonished. Yeah, I was about to, say, I was about to say this about I mean, the Ram- Richard Keys. <laughs> Richard Keys claims he, he just. He's reaching so much, it's just astonishing. This is what happens when you're really good. They can't talk about your football, so they try and find other things to pick at you at. Um, Richard Keyes found a way to blame Mikel Arteta for a fan kicking Aaron Ramsdale. I mean, that is kind of dangerous to promote that sort of reckless and stupid view online um, when you have such a big platform. And then there was talk sports saying it was Ramsdale's fault, which... <laughs> He kissed yeah, the badge. We just wanted to, and he went like this. And then also, that, is someone, not, someone, that should not provoke yeah. a fan to attack him. And it shouldn't provoke fucking Richarlison to slap him in the face either. I, I mean, Richarlison, it doesn't look like he will, but he should absolutely be retrospectively banned because he ro- raised his hand at Ramsdale's face, and that's an automatic red card. Um, and. Apparently, VAR could have still intervened at that point as well. You know, the, the sort of refereeing of the game per se was still live. You know, we see people red carded after football matches quite a lot when brawls break out. And Richarlison should have been. I mean, what was he doing anyway? And uh, another fan camera caught the, the speed at which Richarlison ran at Ramsdale. And it was seriously quick as if he was going to like attack him and... But, but Conte, he doesn't like teams that intimidate other teams and bully them. Richard, yeah, I mean, it just shows the power of the media that somehow there is this genuine discussion about Arsenal being that sort of team, uh, and it doesn't help that the FA are dragged into it by giving us charges for, you know, simple penalty claims. Um, you know, we unfortunately we we haven't had a podcast since the Oxford game, but I'm sure that would have been a big area of discussion if we could, and I know that. Um, on uh, the Arscast, um, they they spoke about that. Charles Watts was the guest um, that day, and yeah, it's mind blowing the way we're being treated by the FA. But um, yeah, a bit a bizarre, bizarre end to the match, and I'm just glad it didn't stop us from enjoying the sort of post match festivities uh, over at the away end because. Uh, yeah, it was a clearly a, a very dark day for Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, just as it would be if we lost to Spurs 2-0 at home. Um, it, it, that is the power of a derby, I suppose. If your team performs that poorly at home against your biggest rival, bad things are going to happen. Yeah. Well, let's get back to the positive football side of things. Um, let's talk about some of the brilliant individual performances. Um, we're going to do our sort of individual player uh, 
uh, thing we can point out a player and essentially give them a stock rising, but we can't say that because Arsenal Vision have patterned that. Uh, Rob, we're going to do three players each because with that many great performances, give me your first. Um, top of the list, I think he's a guy that even on this podcast doesn't get enough credit. I'm going to give it to Gabriel. Um, you know, there are probably players that perform better on him than him on the day. But I think generally, if we're looking at stock rising and we're looking at how uh, players have improved since the World Cup break, he's been better than uh, the centre-back, his centre-back partner, who, you know, is the one who gets all the plaudits, uh, William Saliba. Um, and yeah, just those issues within his game, which I'll, I'll, I'll put my hands, I'll hold my hands up and say, like, I've taken issue with aspects of his game. He's ironed them out. Uh, I don't know if it's a permanent fix or a temporary fix, if he's just in good form, but he is in spectacular form right now. He's a brick wall back there. Uh, the passing has gone up a level. The anticipatory defending is up a level. And the rest of his game, which I think was generally flawless in terms of his physicality and his ability to defend, it's all still there. Uh, so, yeah, Gabriel's my first first pick. Yeah, I thought he was absolutely outstanding in the game. It's the aggression that he played with and sort of trying to nip in and it's just a great foil for the more composed um cold defender in Saliba you know the really aggressive hot-headed but you know it works as a partnership and that was absolutely brilliant performance from Gabriel the way he just dealt with Kane time and time again he gave him no space as soon as the ball you mentioned earlier was fired into Kane's feet he would nip in and, and try and make an aggressive defensive action so yeah i mean it's been a developing sort of rivalry that one uh ever since that that one in the um the covid season i think kane um put quite a bad challenge on gabriel and since then there's always been a big physical battle between them and gabriel consistently has come out on top apart from perhaps uh that game at shire lane last year so yeah well done gabriel well done gabby um I'm going to go for the guy that plays to the left of him, Alexander Zinchenko. I spoke about him uh, when we were talking about the first half, and I do think he faded a little bit, but maybe he's not quite a 90-minute player at the moment uh, due to his fitness issues this season. But that's fine, because we have the options off the bench in Tierney and Tomiyasu. Just, and this is no slight on Tierney, and it's kind of peak for Tierney, to be honest, because he did nothing wrong. Um... And this is the sort of, sometimes you think uh, you've got a player in your team is perfectly fine and you don't need to make an upgrade. But then you do make an upgrade and you sign a player who does things differently in that position and it turns out that that was the thing you needed to transform you. I think it's it arguably he's, he's transformed us more than Gabriel Jesus. The way he allows us to play, the role in which he plays is so integral to the way we build the play. Um some of the cute passes in this game, there was one really early on where he takes it down the line. Uh, he comes back inside and normally pretty much most players in that position roll it back to Gabriel on the right foot. He finds a little reverse ball uh, in between the two Spurs players into Granit Xhaka and Granit Xhaka can turn and he's got like acres of space ahead of him. And I'm like, that little cute ball is the sort of value that he gives us in possession. There were so many brilliant moments. There were so many moments where is something we maybe haven't seen as much. He just sort of glides forward and take... He, if he doesn't see an obvious progressive pass, he'll just glide forward and progress the ball with a carry uh, and take defenders away, take opposition players away from him, and then he'll find a pass when it when it becomes more accessible. 
just brilliant. There were a couple of giveaways, which almost led to the goal, but we, we sort of uh, have come to expect that. Uh, he just sort of appears in these areas. It doesn't seem like he's ever running, which is something I love about him. He just looks so sort of nonchalant in the way he plays football. He's barely sprinting, but he just appears and then produces some technical brilliance. So, yeah, for me, he, he was excellent. Anything on Zinchenko, Rob? Yeah, I think um, he did an interview uh, pretty recently speaking about how we pretty much managed his fitness over the first half of the season because he was carrying an injury throughout the season and we basically just made sure that he was fine to play against the big six sides. And I think that shows how important he is, to be honest. I mean, those are the games that win you uh, titles at the end of the season. Getting top four, you have to beat the rest of the teams. To win a title, you have to beat the big boys as well. Uh, And yeah, Zinchenko has taken us up a level. And I think you're right to suggest maybe he's been sort of less notably more impactful than Jesus on our on how much we've improved just because, you know, Jesus is injured and we're still playing at a ridiculous level. And yeah, Zinchenko is, is so important for us. Um, I think my next player has to be the man between the posts, the man that got um, the the Sky Sports man of the match. Uh, I sort of respected what uh, what uh, Jamie Redknapp and um, Paul Merson were saying after the game in that, you know, usually it indicates that you haven't been like that dominant if your keeper gets the clean sheet. But I think for Ramsdale, I, I'm happy that he got it because it was his best performance in an Arsenal shirt uh, in terms of his all-round game. He made saves, which... I was surprised that he made, personally, just because I think he has had lapses of concentration over, I want to say, over the course of the last 12 months. Um, I think his one, one-on-one goalkeeping hasn't been where it was when he initially joined us. Uh, he's he's perhaps let in some shots, which he shouldn't have let in, but it, it was a impeccable goalkeeping display. Uh, and to think this guy's only 24, and to think he has arguably been underperforming over the course of the last 12 months. You know, it's it's really positive that we have a goalkeeper like that at Arsenal. Oh, yeah. Like, the the point you made about it's not a good reflection on our performance if you, the, the goalkeeper's the man of the match. I think this was one of those sort of, like, looking at the metrics... Spurs created about 1.6 XG, but the post-shot XG, so the XG once a shot was on target, was like 2.5, which shows, or something, 2 point, two point something, which shows, I mean, he didn't concede. Uh, and with the, the, the shots that he faced, you'd expect him to concede over two goals. So, I mean, it was sort of it just his shot stopping from, from some, some speculative Spurs efforts and some good chances, which was excellent. The way he dominated his penalty area and the the distribution was just brilliant as well. Ben Foster but, but said, that, Yeah, but that's the part that you sort of take for granted with Ramsdale, yeah, exactly. the distribution, isn't it? Yeah, and Ben Foster said, I don't know if you saw, it was like, this was the greatest, or this was just a perfect goalkeeping performance, and it was from start to finish. Yeah. And I do think he, yeah. he, maybe he just, he really likes the big occasion and he thrives in that atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, uh, um, James McNicholas said it on an Arscaster. I think it was last week's, the Arscaster Extra last week, and he just says he's the sort of player that 
Arsenal have now for away days and he's the one that gets everyone pumped and he, he gets it. He just gets it. He's one of those players that gets it. Um, and, you know, that's another credit to the recruitment team to find those sorts of personalities. I mean, we all had question marks when Ramsdale joined the club. But if you can look at his distribution and you can look at his personality and think, okay, maybe the shot stopping needs to improve, but that's something that we can work on. And that is something that goalkeepers can work on. And we can see that Ramsdale is improving with that. Uh, you know, this game could be a bit of a flash in the pan, but if there's going to be a game that your goalkeeper is going to have a flash in the pan, perfect performance, I'd want it to be the North London derby. Absolutely. Um, my second player is Thomas Partey. I thought, aside from a few quite bad giveaways at times, he was excellent in this game. Like, he was integral to our ability to sort of sustain pressure because he was just winning the ball back constantly. I think he made like three, four tackles or something. Um, it was just an imperious performance, particularly on the defensive side, but he did still sort of relieve pressure and, and his press resistance was key. Um, and it was just a, a superb party performance. And yeah, as I said, there were a couple moments where he, I think he passed the ball out of play with one. Early on, he looked slightly rattled, but once he got into it, he was, you know, just solid. Um, and he just, he is probably the best player in, I, I, I'd argue there isn't a player in world football I'd rather have than him playing this specific role. And I'd probably say the same for Zinchenko. Maybe you could say Cancelo, but I don't know. The left-footedness on that side, it kind of helps. I know Cancelo can play left-back, but yeah, I just thought Partey was was brilliant. And yeah, he, he has been for a while now. Um, and oh, he also passed at like 92% or something, which is in a derby uh, in that sort of position in central midfield when you've got Kane basically sitting on you um, and Hoiberg was pressing him. That That is brilliant. Yeah, I think importantly, he's he started contrib contributing to the big moments for Arsenal. Um, you know, he's, uh, he's he made goals against West Ham. Uh, you know, he's the one that dispossessed possessed Declan Rice. Uh, I'm sure we'll be speaking more about Declan Rice soon, um, which is exciting. Um, and you know, the, the, these players who who play in this sixth position, uh, I think it's something that. Um, well, it's something that the, the, the pundits definitely said after the match. You know, having a player of, of that calibre, of Partey, of Rodri, Casemiro, uh, I don't think Fabinho is quite at that level, but he was integral to Liverpool. It's so important that you have that player playing at that level. Uh, and Thomas Partey is playing at that level right now. Let's hope he can sustain it. Let's hope he can remain fit. I mean, I'm going to touch wood when I say this, but, you know, this is one of his best fitness runs that he's had at Arsenal. Uh, we know before he joined Arsenal, his fitness record was pretty much flawless. So hopefully the issues are behind him and it's good to see him uh, have that consistent run in the team. Absolutely. Give me your third third final player, Rob. I'm going to give it to Eddie. Uh, I spoke about him briefly at the top of the show. Um, I just think he made a mockery of Eric Dyer. Um 
you know, Eric Dyer at the end of the day is a failed defensive midfielder who's had to settle with playing as the middle centre-back in a back three. Traditionally, the position where you put your sort of liability of a centre-back who defensively, but someone who can pass the ball, you know, it's where we David Luiz thrived, for example. I'm not saying that he was a bad centre-back, but there's a reason he needed so much protection around him. Uh, and Eric Dyer was, you know... He couldn't deal with Eddie and Nketiah on the day. Yes, perhaps Eddie should have finished off his chances. But as you spoke about with that first one, especially that they weren't sort of a piece of cake. Uh, They required, um, you know, improvisation. And I just thought Eddie's touch was was brilliant. The way he enabled us to um, get out. Uh, in certain moments with long balls towards him, the way he can bring things down, the way he shows, you know, f- for the likes of Zinchenko and Ben White for, for, for throw-ins that we can just pump it up to him and hope that he can can keep the ball. It's an area of his game that has improved so much and an area of his game that I didn't really think he had in him. Um, I think even this time last year, I, I really thought his hold up play was at most like championship level. Uh, but now... He's performing like one of the best strikers in the Premier League. And I think just in general, I think it's important for us going forward while our B team remains, you know, ridiculously inferior to our A team per se. um, It's important that we judge our players when they're put in the A team. And um, because Eddie, you know, he was struggling in that B team during the first half of the season. He was still scoring, but his all round game wasn't there. You know, going forward, when Smith Rowe and Vieira, etc., are chucked in, let's judge them when they're they're playing around actual, you know, brilliant footballers. Absolutely, and I think, I mean, ironically, he didn't do the thing that we always say he can do, which is score goals. But I mean, he had one point two xg in this game and five shots, and all five shots were in the penalty area. So, I mean, he's going to get his goals if he's doing that regularly, which he is. Um, but it was, you know, I can't have asked for more than him in this game, apart from maybe taking one of those chances. His, he was doing what Jesus does. Um, maybe not quite to the same level, but, you know, we, we, we've we spoken several times about the when the ball is fired into his feet and he takes it backwards um, and regresses the play and slows down the attack. He wasn't doing that in this game. He was sticking, he was pinning defenders, he was turning them, he was turning them and, and playing a progressive pass. He was a constant menace. He looked really sharp. His movement was excellent. One thing I think he's getting much better understanding of is when to press and how to press because, you know, he sort of just charges at the the player on the possession, which isn't always the best thing to do in a press. Sometimes you've got to sort of be a bit more positionally aware and sort of block the passing lanes, uh, and that's something he's getting better at. Um, My third player, I'm not really sure because it could be basically anyone, um, I think the five we covered were the obvious ones. Um, but I'll go with... Because I think Odegaard was very good, but he, I don't want to say his stock has risen from this game. Like, we all know he's basically the best player in the Premier League. Um, I'll say Saliba. Um, I don't think he was overly excellent. I don't think he got as much of the ball, but just in terms of the recent form since the World Cup, he's been a little bit shaky. We've spoken about that. Um and in this game, I saw he was basically returned to his best. You know, he was fine. Uh, he wasn't. He wasn't quite as good as Gabriel, but you know, dealt with everything that came his way. Was solid in possession, so I'll give it to him. Um, but it could have been Ben White, whose progressive passing was brilliant. It could have been, you know, Saka was a constant threat. Um, but again, we said he's basically the best right winger in the league. So has his stock risen? 
uh, from this game. Not really. Martinelli was was good. Shaka was really good. I thought some of his passing was excellent. Some of the positions he took up. So yeah, a brilliant day. Eight points clear. United next. Can we win the league, Rob? I mean, obviously we can. But how yeah. are you feeling about it now? I mean, of course, being eight points clear at halfway through the season, you're bound to feel a bit more confident. Um, you know, I'm not saying it, it, it's the done deal, but, you know, like the bookies and the the, the metrics would suggest, I, I would call us favourites now. Um, and part of that for me is also because of Manchester City. I just... They're, they're not as good as they were last season. And I, I, I was reluctant to fall into that narrative um, during the first half of the season, although I understood it. Uh, I just thought eventually they'd totally adapt to having a completely different striker. But they don't seem to be doing that in a hurry. Um, and I also think, just like for us, don't get me wrong, but in a way which hasn't been the same as recent seasons, a big injury could really hurt them. A Haaland or a Rodri getting injured, wow. I mean, it would be so impactful on City in ways, you know, they've been able to cope in recent years. This year, I think it would completely disrupt them. Uh, you know, having to rely on someone like Calvin Phillips to come in who doesn't understand the system yet or having Gundogan drop in who is so effective a bit further forward. It's, it's huge. And... Again, if, if they drop off uh, and then we're in a title race with Manchester United, um, I'm, I'm very comfortable with that. And to all those people saying they wanted a draw at the weekend, I am very comfortable in a title race with Manchester United Football Club. Uh, we are much, much better than them. I hope that that will be proven on at the weekend. You never know, but it should be. We're a much better side than them. And yeah, I'm, I'm very confident going into the rest of the season. I have to say, Alf, what about yourself? I am as well. I still hope we strengthen. Uh, one thing the Oxford game uh, sort of one thing that sort of stood out to me and was sort of a culmination of everything that's happened in these sort of cup games so far is I think we have a serious ball progression issue when we don't have our starting sort of deeper players out there. Um, I just think El Nenny, we know about his passing. Rob Holding can't do it. Uh, Tommy Asu's struggling a little bit in that aspect. Tierney isn't what Zinchenko is on the ball. Uh, Laconga's struggling. I think if we if we were to get an injury to one of those midfield players, I'd be a little bit hesitant. And even if we want to go deep into the Europa League, which isn't really a priority now we're in this league position, but I just would hope as long as 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 well as a, a forward, a wide forward, which we obviously all know we need, I hope we could potentially add another midfield option um but yeah if we can do that why not i mean even if we weren't to do that and our players just stay fit and we get a bit lucky with injuries then why not um and yeah i mean by the end of this week we could be 11 points clear we could also be five points clear but Imagine that, and it's not too outrageous to think Spurs going away to City. We yeah. know, I Come know on, Spurs, Spurs have been terrible. <laughs> exactly, I know Spurs have been terrible recently, but they always seem to just do it against City. So who knows? Maybe they'll have about three shots all in the counter attack. There will be great chances, and Spurs City will have about twenty-four. Yeah. 
and they'll somehow win 2-0. But part of me is also like they always seem to do, they always do it against us at home. So is this a time where Spurs genuinely are awful? Um, That's true. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm keeping my fingers crossed, but I'm not hopeful, but still we're eight points clear. As, you know, we can basically afford to lose to City twice and still be in control, especially considering City will definitely drop more points. It's it's heating up, definitely. Uh, and I just hope that the players and the manager and the recruitment team can keep on blocking out the noise. I hope everyone can carry on doing their jobs. Uh, we, we need players. I'm not excusing the sort of... Uh, a, a, what appears to be a lack of activity in the transfer market. But at the moment, uh, and this is something which, you know, I don't want to go too much into, but the amount of stick the likes of Edu got last week for missing out on Mudrick and not paying silly money up front, at least, for a guy who, as Alfie showed in his brilliant video on Mudrick, isn't the finished product. Thank you. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. Please just have patience with them. They have done a great job. If we get to the end of the window and they haven't, you have every right to be angry, but let's be patient. I'd second all that. And yeah, my marketing opportunity of a lifetime, I'll just throw it in, is that video. And subscribe to the We Love Your Arsenal YouTube channel because more content will be coming. Rob? Uh, no, opportunity I think I'll, I'll still plug my piece on Mudrick from last week as well I just think it's so relevant and going forward I think it elucidates what I want in uh, a winger uh, I think I'd prefer that if we're going to spend 100 I want it to be a superstar uh, and that's I think what that piece shows perfect well we'll call it a day thanks for watching we need a song um I, I, something to do with like it's happened again. Is is there a song out there? Uh, like, is, what's that song that's like over and over again? Uh, uh, over and over and over again. Over and over again by Nathan Sykes. Right, I think we'll that's that. quite a sad song, but who cares? We, we're play, we're going <laughs> off a whim. Uh, it's happened again, Tottenham Hotspur. Fuck you. Well, that. Cheers, lads. Sub subscribe, like, whatever. Whatever you can do to boost this podcast. And we'll see you in the next one. Bye. Goodbye. From the way you smile to the way you look, you capture me unlike no other. From the first hello, yeah, that's all it took. And suddenly we had each other. And I won't leave you Always be true One plus one, two for life Over and over again So don't ever think I need more I've got the one to live for No one else will do And I'm telling you Just put your heart in my Promise it won't get broken We'll never forget this moment Yeah, we'll stay brand new Cause I love you Over and over again Over and over again 
from the heat of night to the break of day I'll keep you safe and hold you forever And the sparks will fly, you will never fade Cause every day gets better and better And I won't leave you Always be true One plus one, two for life Over and over again So don't ever think I need more I've got the one to live for No one else will do Yeah, I'm telling you Just put your heart in my hands I promise it won't broken we'll never forget this moment yet we'll stay brand new cause I love you over and over again over and over again girl when I'm with you I lose track of time Without you, you're stuck on my mind Be all you need till the day that I die I'll love you over and over again So don't ever think I need more I've got the one to live for No one else will do Yeah, I'm telling you Just put your heart in my hands Promise it won't get broken We'll never forget this moment Yet we'll stay brand new Cause I love you